Good morning again, church. If you were not with us last week, Pastor Eric started off a short series that we are calling Uncreated Created. So we're going to spend the next five weeks, uh, began last week, and then this week and four more weeks uh, walking through Genesis chapters 1 through 3. This morning, uh, we're going to walk through the creation account that Vivian just read. And after we walk through, we'll kind of briefly walk through these uh, creation days and then kind of step back and think about together the world God has made and the truth and how the truth of this creation account actually changes us, how it impacts us as the people of God as we reflect on Genesis 1. How does the world around us, the created world, that we see our eternal triune God bring about actually help us live out our identity as the people of God. So as a reminder from last week, Pastor Eric began by giving kind of the goal behind this series. And I would encourage you, if you were not here last week, go back and listen to that sermon from last week. You will be helped and blessed by that. Um, but he started with the goal in this series being, and especially as we begin a new year, to take a step back and to find once again our pole star, the uncreated God, that he might realign our identity, that we might find who we are, where we are, and where we're headed based on him, that we might be profoundly affected by God, and that we would understand our creatureliness in light of him. So week one, the uncreated, the eternal, triune creator God. And then week two this morning, the created or the world around us, the things that we see. Uh, back in the day when DVDs used to be a thing, I can remember uh, purchasing, thank you Nick for that, I can remember purchasing uh, Planet Earth, which may, may still be a show, I'm not sure, but I had the DVD series of it, so I was one of the originals. I was, but the quality, I remember the quality of those cameras and, and what they would show you and how long the cameras would set up and show you the seasons in a certain place or what the animals did throughout the different seasons the English narrator behind the scenes that you're watching. I mean, it was incredible. It was an incredible documentary. And truly, as you watch something like that, I remember watching, especially the first few times I watched that, just being in awe of the God who did this, who put that there, who designed that. This God must be absolutely incredible. A powerful, sovereign, loving, detailed artist. We get to see things in creation that many generations before us didn't even know existed. I mean, the videos we get to see of what God has made. Think about the colors and the smells and the sounds and the sizes and textures of what God has made. And all of it is a daily testimony displaying so many things about him. And I want to start here as we begin Genesis 1, verse 3, by saying that this does not say or record everything that we may like to know about creation. But we do find everything we most need to know. It introduces us to the power and centrality and authority of our creator God. And these verses and chapters actually put the focus on him and what he does and not the creation. These verses are meant to point us upward, even as we think about our own lives and the world that he has made. The Westminster Confession, in light of these verses, 
reads that it pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness in the beginning to create or make of nothing the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible in the space of six days and all very good. So it pleased him for the manifestation of his glory, his eternal power, his wisdom. That is what is put on display as we see our God create. That is what is revealed in Genesis chapter 1. And as we think specifically about these verses, Jim Hamilton summarizes days 1 through 3, I think, helpfully. He says it's kind of like God is preparing the canvas. He's bringing form in days 1 through 3. And then days four through six, the canvas is being adorned by its master. So it's formed in days one through three, and then it's filled in days four through six. And this all culminates in humanity, which will be our text next week. We stopped right before humanity. In our text, verse three begins with these powerful words, and God said, I'm sure, I didn't look it up, but I'm sure there have been many sermons preached just on those two words. God said. But God begins to form and fill his world, and he does this by speaking it into existence. God said, which leaves no room for a self-existent or self-created place. It leaves no room for random It leaves no room for it slowly growing into existence. God speaks, it exists. Our eternal triune creator God speaks and the formless is formed and filled. And I think if we stopped right there, that changes a whole lot for us this morning. Everything about how you think about the day you've been given today changes because the God of the universe speaks and things come to be. Everything about how you think about your relationships today changes because the God of the universe speaks and things come to be. We see this phrase, God said, ten times throughout the creation account. It's repeated over and over again to remind us and show us the source of all things. Just so we can't mix it up and get it twisted here. God said creation exists. He is the authority, the life giver, the one that speaks and creation listens. They have no other alternative. Creation has no alternative but to do what he has said. And we will see as we continue to read through the scriptures and as we even hold the word of God that he is a speaking God. The first thing he does that's recorded for us is he speaks throughout human history and through his word, the scriptures speak the words of God. And praise God, he has chosen to put that in ways we can understand it. He did not have to do that. Hebrews 11.3, along with many other passages, but Hebrews 3 affirms what Genesis records. It says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So the first theme we see is God said all throughout this account. Secondly, we see God's declaration that the creation is good. Six times God says that it is good. The word good means that something is useful in fulfilling the purpose of God. 
The things God creates fulfill their purpose. It's, it's for our good. It's for God's glory. It's not evil in and of itself. It's good because God made it. The gospel project, which we use in our kids' classrooms, so our kids are getting this. I think it <laughs> explains it in a helpful way. It says, when God said what he made was good, he was affirming its original design and intent to reflect and display his good character, power, and nature. It was the way he wanted it to be. Nothing happened by accident as he spoke these things into existence. And as we'll see in later sermons, in spite of how sin impacts God's good creation, God from the very beginning pages is committed to making it new and to redeeming a people to dwell in it forever. He is committed to that. And it's really hard for me to not jump in next the next guy's sermon, I'm just telling you that as I work through this. But let's briefly talk about this account, days one through six. We'll move quickly through this, but I do want to highlight some things that we see, and you'll see them listed out on the screen as well. But day one is in verses three through five. We see God speak light into being on the first day. And just a reminder here, I know we, we all, I bet everybody in this room has heard this before, knows this, has had Genesis 1-1 memorized for a long time. But think about what we are reading right now. Don't let this just be a text that you are reading. God speaks and light appears. I mean, we, I think maybe Pastor Eric mentioned this, but I can't even get Alexa or Siri to listen to me <laughs> or my kids to listen to the words that I'm saying, right? And God speaks and light appears. Unbelievable what we see right in the beginning pages of Scripture. The source of the light being filled before the earth is filled. We don't have the sun. We don't have the moon. We don't have the stars. And it's not recorded here what that source is, but other places in Scripture, we know God is the source, but the Scriptures even connect it to God himself. In John 1, at the end of all things, in Revelation 22.5, it says, They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. God brings light. God begins to bring order and distinction, purpose to his creation. And he begins by bringing light to darkness. And for the first time, we see that the light is good. That phrase that I, I mentioned is six times throughout this account. He enjoys what he's made, and it's exactly what it should be. And on day one, it is light. On day two, in verses six through eight, the darkness is complemented by the light on day one. On day two, God divides the waters and creates the sky. So it seems like in day two, God is beginning to define the boundaries, to separate things out, setting the stage, forming the boundaries for humanity and other things to live so he's prepping the canvas. Again, this idea of preparing the canvas, setting it up. Here the expanse is the sky with the upper waters or the clouds and the waters below the sky, the sea. So he's showing, even through his creation, the order, the purpose, something he's headed toward. He has a plan with what he is making. He could have just thrown this together all at once. But there's a plan as he preps this earth he puts limits on the waters. He tells them where to go, where to stop. 
Day three in verses nine through 13, there's further division among the waters and the land. The seas are now complemented by both sky and land, just as the light became the complement of darkness on day one. Look at verse nine. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and God saw that it was good. So again, God said it was so and it was good. It's kind of this rhythm of God saying it happens and it's good. With a breathable atmosphere and now we have land it's being readied for even greater things to come. So as, you're, as they would have been reading through this, and as you would have read through this for the first time, there's anticipation for what is this God doing? What is he walking towards? What is he creating? What is he putting together, and who is it going to be for? And on the third day, in verses 11 through 13, we see the creation of plants and vegetation already bearing seeds. So these are already developed plants. Every single created, growing thing just adds more and more beauty to the earth. It has a uniqueness. It has its own usefulness. And we continue to discover this even today. Ways in which the things that God has made are useful. And he has given them a purpose. So we have dry land on which animals and humanity could live. And then we have plants to help sustain that life. Day four is when we move from forming to filling. God begins to fill what he has formed through the sun and the moon, the galaxies filled with stars. That prepped canvas is now being adorned by its master. We have the creation of a greater light, verse 16. This is the sun. And a lesser light, the moon, which reflects the sun's light, followed by innumerable stars and galaxies. So this would have even shut down the the false gods of ancient times and ancient cultures where they would actually worship the moon and the sun and the stars. And right away, the opening pages of their scriptures remind them that those are not gods to be worshipped, but they're actually told what to do by the one true God. They are told where to go. They are told how to shine. They're told what to look like and where to be. They're not self-creating gods that we are to worship or pray to or serve. Isaiah called the people of God instead to lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. By the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. So he fills his world with beauty and power and height and depth and width that cannot be measured, it cannot be counted. More than the, the grains of the sea, the sands on the seashore, the stars in the sky cannot be counted or measured. If you've got 10 minutes this afternoon, I would encourage you to Google the video If the Earth Was a Golf Ball. I know it's circulated for a long time, but I would encourage you, just take a few minutes and watch that with your family. Or watch that at home. Thought about just saying what he said, but that probably is not a good idea. But the galaxies and the moon and the stars declare the glory of God and all that he has made. 
And in that video, you see an incredible example of just kind of backing away and showing the scope of what God has made and how we fit into that. Day five in verses 20 to 23, God fills the waters and the sky with living things. So here he's showing himself off to us through the dolphin and the jellyfish and the raven and the eagle. Romans 1.20 says his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. You can see it. Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. God fills the waters and the skies with some of the most unique and beautiful and powerful creative creatures. The smallest and the largest that, that we can imagine. One author wrote, when I think of the fact that one artist created every aquatic critter I've ever met, and when I think about the fact that the creator cares for all of his creatures, every minute of every day, I am overwhelmed. Are we overwhelmed as we look around at what God has spoken into being? And a uniqueness here is that God blesses these creatures by enabling them to procreate. Verse 22 says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So he gives them the ability and then he commands them to do it. Again, showing his authority over what he has made. He, he makes them, tells them what to do and then gives them the ability to do it. Sounds a lot like what he will do with us. Again, he gives life and then allows that life to multiply. On day three, we actually have already seen that God created plants with seeds that could continue to grow, continue to plant more and spread. And likewise, in day five, the animals were created with that same capacity to reproduce. And so the stage is being set for the pinnacle of his creation that we will see in verse 26. Day six, in verses 24 to 25, God fills the land with animals, insects, and then ultimately us. And similar to the third day, which kind of parallels day six, some of these days parallel, we see two creative acts. One pronounced good by God, verse 25, and then the other very good, which again, next week, I know I keep pointing ahead, verse 31. But here the day arrives when God creates animals to dwell on the earth, from the tiniest flea to the largest elephant. This is where we might have questions like, you know, was the stink bug really necessary? Like, what is the point of that? But God, in his infinite wisdom, he fills the land. He fills it with the most unique, the most incredible, the most powerful, the smallest. As we study these animals, we are even more in awe of what God created and the God behind it. He prepared his canvas and now he adorns it. Yet even up to this point, even before we get to the culmination of that and those made in the image of God, God has formed and filled his world with absolutely stunning innovation and beauty. All that he has made was made by his wisdom and his power. Jeremiah 51 says, It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. There is a wise, intelligent creator behind all of this. 
And he made it by his power and by his wisdom and by his understanding. The scriptures begin with this dramatic display of the glory of God. The historical account of creation is nothing short of absolute glory and majesty. And God is the center. God is the source. The first three days of creation provide lights in the sky, water, land on the earth, seed-bearing plants for food. It's a world like a garden. Days four to six provide fish to swim the seas, birds to soar in the skies, and animals to walk the earth. And as we reflect on the creation account and our God who gives good things, I think it's helpful for us us to ask, what does the world around us change about us? The world God has made us, we see him bring things to life and we reflect upon that creation. How does that help us? What does God do through what he has created? How does creation, in a sense, impact the people of God? I think there are many ways, and I want to talk through a few this morning. First of all, creation helps us worship him. I think this is a theme that could come up every week as we study Genesis 1 to 3. More than just a statement of theology here in Genesis 1 or historical fact, it's almost like a hymn of praise to the creator through whom all things exist and for whom all things exist. Romans 11.36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Your Bible is written in such a way that you encounter God in all his glory right away. From the beginning, the, the very first paragraphs, you witness God do something that will never be replicated again and could not be replicated again by anyone but him. That should leave us in awe as long as we have breath. The uncreated one who existed before time speaks everything that is into being. His power and wisdom and authority are not hidden from us. It's everywhere. Friday morning, maybe some of you saw it, I saw one of the most beautiful sunrises of orange and blue that I have seen in a long time in Ohio. And I noticed it first on my neighbor's house out the front. It looked like they had their Christmas lights on. And then I went to my back window and just realized the sky was lit up with the glory of God on display for all of Centerville, Ohio to see and beyond. I was screaming that I am here and I am powerful and I deserve praise and worship and glory. Look at what I have made. Look at what I have allowed you to enjoy. And as I sat and looked at that sunrise, I doubt any of you, if you saw that on Friday morning, thought in the midst of that moment, in the midst of looking at the sunrise, I'm a pretty great guy. (laughs) You know, as you're staring at this beautiful sunrise, and in my back window, there's hanging portraits that my three-year-old and my four-year-old and my seven-year-old have drawn, if you want to call it that. And I not for a moment looked down at that picture and started to think, man, I have some great artists in my house. This is beautiful. And in its own way, it is. 
But when I'm looking at that sunrise, I'm not thinking about anything but how glorious and majestic and powerful and creative and good my God is. As we stare at his creation, it shifts our gaze upward in an appropriate way. But the reality is that the things God has created can either become our God or they can cause us to worship the one true God. The things that he has made and given to us and shown us can easily become things that we bow the knee to if we're not careful. So where are you tempted to worship the creation instead of the creator? As I stare at my iPhone or my TV or myself in the mirror or my problems, I can quickly lose sight of the eternal triune creator God. My worship can begin to go elsewhere. I can begin to use the things that he has given me as a good gift to slowly, sometimes quickly, become my God, become what I live for and what I worship and what I bow down to and what I spend my time thinking about instead of our good creator, God. God has given us good things for his glory and our joy, but not so that we will worship them. One author put it this way, whereas God could have created air filtration machines, he instead chose to create trees. Whereas God could have chosen to cast creation in black and white, he instead chose to paint from a vast palette of colors. He gives both water and wine, bread and cheese, breathtaking sunsets and harvest moons. God's not stingy. He's not Scrooge. He's not tight-fisted. Creation teaches us he's a wonderfully good God who's open-handed with his people. He's pro-pleasure, pro-our joy. His good gifts are for our gratification so that we might give him praise and thanks. Let his creation point you back to him. Let his creation Leave you in awe of the God you are privileged to serve and love and worship. Creation helps us to worship him. Second, creation helps us loosen our grip. And specifically, loosen our grip on the things of this earth. Knowing and believing what God says about his creation is is much more than just about having the right view about the beginning. This truth calls you to surrender everything you are and everything you have to the ownership of your creator. That nothing you have is actually yours. When we do this, everything else begins to change. When we reflect on the creation account and the way our scriptures begin as they point back to the God who made everything for his purposes and his glory, everything begins to change about how we view our stuff and relationships and the things of this earth. One of the most practical ways this expresses itself is with our stuff, with our money. Asking, what does the creator want to do with his money that I have been given? What does the creator want to do with the things that he has given me? Certainly, God will use your work to provide for you, but he wants the central purpose of all you have been given to be used for a greater purpose. 
Your creator is committed to giving you what you need. He has promised he will give you what you need. So the primary purpose of your stuff and your money is, is generosity. Your money allows you to be a part of the mission of our creator God. So your financial life takes a very different shape when you really do believe that your money doesn't even belong to you. He's not giving you what you have just for you. And I would say loosening the grip begins as soon as we read Genesis chapter 1. Where can the truth of the creation account challenge you to change the way you think about and use your time and your talent and your treasure? We could bring that conversation into every area of our lives because it all begins to change when you really believe that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. When you truly believe that you are his created people called out for a purpose. So creation even, God at work in creation calls you to live like nothing belongs to you, even you, to loosen your grip on the things that you think are mine. Number three, creation helps us endure suffering. I know that Pastor Eric read some of this passage last week, but how does God confront Job when he's enduring the worst kind of suffering imaginable? He points back to the beginning. He uses the truth about who he is as the creator. I'll read just a few verses from Job 38. God says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. On what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it bursts out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band. Our God understands every movement of every electron and every molecule and every part of the universe. He stretched the heavens. He told the waters where to stop. He created you and knows, knows you better than you will ever know yourself. He holds it all together and he cares for his people made in his image more than we will ever understand. He can be trusted as the sovereign, eternal, triune creator God. And he has proven that over and over and over and over and over again. The assurance that the creator God can do all things and that no purpose of his can be stopped is the comfort I need in my suffering. The encouragement I long for when I'm terrified by the evil around me. So remember who he is. Remember what he is capable of as you endure suffering in a broken and fallen world. Then number four, finally, creation helps us to look to Jesus. Reflecting on the creation account, the God of all creation and the world around us should lead us to the grace that we have received in Jesus Christ. The doctrine of creation, when it's properly understood, leads to our Redeemer. 
It is where I find forgiveness and hope for the times that I think I am sovereign, for the times that I think all of this is about me, for the times that I long for the throne that in no way I deserve. The grace found in Jesus is where I have to run when I live hours, days, weeks sometimes with little regard for the eternal triune creator God. We haven't gotten to the fall yet, but we have looked back on the incredible world God spoke into existence, unstained by sin. And as we do that, we should weep at the brokenness that is everywhere around us and in us. Yes, there are still incredible things that we see all the time. I mean, we saw a testimony of that this morning, the miracles that the Lord still does and does through his people. But this world is a broken world that simply no longer operates as its creator originally intended. In Romans 8, Paul says that the world we live in is groaning. It groans under the weight of its own brokenness. So even the physical world around us is crying for redemption, to be made new. And he will make it all new again. And the way he will do that is by sending the word made flesh his son on our behalf to live a perfectly righteous life that we could never live, to die the death we deserve, paying the price for our sin and rising from the dead, conquering sin and death. His life and death and resurrection guarantee that there will be a day when we are glorified and we are perfected and we will live in a place where everything is once again good. Good. May we live with the hope of that day in view. And as we see God create, it's not just about our origin story or a chapter of the Bible to debate, but who we are and how we are designed to live. Seeing the world God made around us, the creation count once again reminds us that we must be reconciled to this creator, holy, perfect God that made us and we are made for. Genesis 1, I think among other things, teaches us that in contrast to the age we live in, man is not the beginning and end all. God is. Man is not the center of the universe. God is. We are a created, completely dependent people. And so we don't get to run our lives independently the way we want to. We may think for a moment or even a season that we're doing that. But as those created by God, that is not our right. The very fact that we receive life from God means we now owe him everything. For he spoke everything into existence and everything he made was good and for his glory. And I pray this morning that causes us to worship him. That it causes us to loosen our grips on the things that we hold so tightly to of this earth. To faithfully endure suffering as we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Stand with me as we pray.
Father, thank you for the privilege of gathering as your people this morning to remember who you are and what you have done. And I pray that our hearts would find so much joy in that, so much thankfulness, that we would worship you, that we would view our relationships and our world and our stuff and our money and our church and all of the things that you have given us so differently because of what we read in the very first pages of your word to us. May it change us. May it cause us to bow the knee. May it cause us to to love others better. All of these things are, are so drastically changed because we serve a God who is sovereign and eternal and triune and who made all things by the power of his word. And so we praise you. We thank you. And I ask that you would do a work in us that only you can today as we leave this place. And may you receive all the praise and all the glory and all the honor for what you do. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Man, you are dismissed. Have a great afternoon, church.